to Minter Dialogue, episode number 526. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this wonderful network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This week's interview is with Bob Hunter. Bob is the founder of Oxford Pierpont, based out of Atlanta, Georgia, serving small businesses by providing the essential services required for any business to launch in a modern, interconnected world. In this discussion with Bob, we explore his entrepreneurial journey, how he overcame adversity, battling significant health challenges, and created a very successful consulting company. We look at his philosophy, how he's accumulated such a long client list of recognizable brand names. Along the way, we gain some great insights and perspective. As always, you'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a moment, go ahead and drop in a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe, of course, to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Bob Hunter, great to have you on my show. I, one of my other uh, ways of, of meeting people is through Matchmaker. So it's like, you know, this dating game online. And I saw your profile and it struck me and I wanted to reach out and have you on my show to get you to talk us through what seems to be rather a really interesting, deep journey uh, and the founding of your company, Oxford Pierpoint. Pierpoint. So in your words, who is Bob Hunter? You know, that is definitely a question that I'm still um, trying to figure out every day. And I think a big part of that is uh, I kind of feel like until the day that we die, we're still writing each individual chapter of our stories. And so the character development can go right on through the end of the book. Um, So when people ask who is Bob Hunter, I guess for context of who I am now, I'm just a business owner, father, um, a photographer, traveler. And just a regular guy who's just trying to accomplish a few things. And I'm sure in later chapters, that definition will get more exciting. Hmm. I I love the way you describe that because, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm 58, so far along the path. And and the the idea of of describing who we are, if at the age of 22 or whatever, I'm not saying you're that age, but, you know, the young age, you say, well, this is who exactly who I am. Like, hmm, Okay. And then the the funny thing is, even as you get older, and I can say from my vantage point, much like I, although I've wanted to craft and and shape and 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 be more assured in who I am, it's still a journey. So welcome to that journey, Bob. And, and so the the thing that attracted me to your story is this creation of Oxford Pierpont. So tell us about how why you decided to to found Oxford Pierpont? Yeah, I talk to a lot of business owners every day, and a lot of them have these amazing reasons for why they started their business. Um, Some passion or some wonderful idea or getting fed up with the way that their life was going. For me, it was more of a survival tactic. Um, And I say that because prior to having the company, um, I had a regular job, and I was very much in that comfort zone, in that space until my sickle cell came along to uh, disrupt that comfort. And I had to figure out from a uh, survival perspective, the basics of, hey, how are we going to get the bills paid? Um, That's where it stemmed from. 
in my previous uh, life as a regular employee, my job was the director of operations development. And that basically meant I would create departments, build things for the company, come up with new ideas, execute those ideas every day. That was my job. And it happened in 90 day cycles. So the logical thing for me to do when I lost my job was uh, to continue doing what I'd spent the previous you know, half decade working on, which is developing and creating. And that's why we now work with business owners. We do business development. And I talk to business owners every day to create for them. But it wasn't some passion that I just woke up with. It was more of a, hey, I've got to make something happen. Here's uh, what I've got in my toolbox and let me make something with it. And that's where we are. And now fast forward, uh, 2023, it's been a quite long journey, much longer than I thought it would be. And mm. we're doing better than ever at it. So it was one of those blessings in disguise. Yeah, you sounds like you had an alarm call that, um, you know, all alarms blaring said, oh, fruits, I've got to figure this out. Yeah, I think sometimes we get very comfortable in the comfort zone and uh, there's no ambition there in that zone. And uh, I think sometimes things happen to us to push us out of that area to make us uh, into better people if you're the type of person to survive a thing like that. So I'm grateful in the end. Yeah, it's, you know, the number of people I have on my show who are, are doing interesting things, important things, it, it feels like so many of them have had some kind of wake-up call. Because until you're doing that, Although you have ambition, I mean, you just said you didn't, but I think people do have the idea or think they have ambition and and think they're onto doing something interesting while they're basically running on a treadmill, punching in, punching out and getting big titles. But then they wonder what that's all about. And something happens to them that says, oh, wow, uh, let me do something else. For you, let talk us through sickle cell because I mean I'm sure most people don't really understand that. I don't. And I'd love to know a little bit more about how it manifested itself. Is it sort of overnight? Um, I you know, I got my own illness and it basically came over a three-week period. And then at the end it was very obvious, but you know, it crept up on me. Sometimes it can be many months, years. What was your experience? So sickle cell is a hereditary blood disorder that you are born with, and um, it has varying degrees of uh, severity. For me, I happen to have the worst one, and so um, I suffer from chronic pain on a daily basis, and that pain can be anywhere in my body. Uh, there are definitely some areas that I would consider to be hotspots, but it's a debilitating level of pain for most people. And so most people that end up um, having to fight sickle cell Throughout their lives, they end up coping with a lot of medication, um, a lot of opioids, a lot of just heavy narcotics, a lot of just heavy medication. That really does nullify uh, your ability to be a very highly accomplished person because anyone who's had to be on pain meds uh, to that extent knows many of them will just make you drowsy or just make you otherwise lethargic. Um, so the challenge for me was figuring out a good balance between managing uh, my sickle cell, but still managing my goals. And the only way to accomplish that was cutting all the pain meds, which was a challenge, but it's one that was done and now I'm grateful for it. So that's sickle cell in a nutshell. Wow. Dealing with pain all day long. I mean, so now that you've cut the meds, are you still having to deal with pain? How do you manage that piece? 
So um, still definitely deal with it. Um, sometimes I'll take like just short breaks to uh, to lay down, rest, whatever the problem area is uh, for that day. Um, trying to stay hydrated and just have uh, healthy eating uh, habits, just healthy uh, lifestyle habits, drinking lots of water, you know, um, gallon of water a day, little things like that, so that I'm basically uh, getting ahead of the severity of whatever pain I would have. And then the biggest one I would say is keeping a positive attitude, because I think a lot of people don't realize just how uh, just how much of a role your mindset and attitude play in your overall well-being, especially if you're someone that's dealing with a chronic illness. Um, what you'll find is that if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day, whatever your illness is that you're dealing with, it's definitely going to be worse that day. Whereas if you wake up, you acknowledge that, hey, this is what you've got to deal with, but you've got other things to do too. So you manage your pain, you move on, you barely even notice it. It's more like a dull noise in the background instead of like a blaring um, noise right in your face at all times. So the, the pain moves around your body, which means you can't anticipate where it is. You try to drink a gallon of water as opposed to us, you know, quote unquote, normal people that just drink a liter or yeah. <laughs> try to do that. A gallon, uh, it seems like that's a rigorous discipline. But yeah. in, in terms of your mindset, how do you deal with that? I mean, I know so many people who are dealing with pain. You know, I'm much older than you, and it ends up being part of it. But you've had to deal with it so much earlier. How, how do you actually, and what is the mindset predisposition or, or, or discipline exercise that you undertake to deal with that pain? I would say it's a mindset like that of a poker player. Um, and what I mean by that is a poker player does not get to ask the dealer for any particular uh, hand, right? The dealer shuffles. The cards are evenly distributed to everyone at the table, and you have to play the hand that you're dealt and play your best uh, hand with it. And, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And I just feel like uh, in my case, sure, I've got a bad hand, but I've been able to find ways to win. For example, let's say that I am just really, really not uh, not feeling very, very good that's, uh, today. Like I just I wake up and it's bad just hand. a horrible day. Bad hand, yes. You, you, you're going to lose some of them, but there are things that I can do to mitigate that. I might just have to go take a hot shower to uh, relax muscles a little bit. Drinking extra water, drinking extra green tea, um, trying to meditate. That's a big one. Um, trying to make sure that I am uh, distracting myself so that instead of like this high volume music that's playing in my, uh, in my face, it's more like a dull background music, like ambient noise. You can lower the level of um, of pain that you're dealing with just by simply ignoring it. And people also have to consider when they're thinking about how to manage uh, whatever their challenges are. We're not even just talking about pain here, but any challenge that you have, uh, that placebo effect matters. The reason that the placebo effect works is because your mind does have some say in how uh, how aggressively you're going to interpret uh, something to be. And if you believe that, hey, this thing that you're dealing with is not as big of a deal as you might otherwise make it out to be, you'll find that you are able to ignore it effectively um, and move on and accomplish the things that you have to accomplish. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to really go after something, you know, just go after it, despite whatever obstacles are in the way. So it's, I'm just thinking about another friend I've had on, on the show who 
has cystic fibrosis and and he like you has a, a tremendous attitude i mean his lifespan he's overlived by several years now and 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 you and you know, I, i'm always almost flattered to speak to somebody like that and 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 yet i i i wonder how you deal with people who are complaining oh my god you know there's a scratch on my car oh i have a headache and oh i'm the victim of the rain that came down on my head today <laughs> you know i um i i laugh a lot that's a good way of handling things but i also just recognize that we all have different experiences and um i think half of the reason that some of us have really strong attitudes is simply because we had to there wasn't really an option um and so i recognize that not everyone has had to go through the fire and be hardened in that way and i can't really uh you know judge them personally for that because it's this that's their story they're on a different story than i'm on and it's something i have to deal with regularly because i have so many employees across uh let's see 1 2 3 4 6 countries So there's always going to be someone who's complaining about um oh this happened to me and it's the the end of the world I'm thinking to myself like oh, that's that's nothing but hey you know I will just deal with it as it comes <laughs> let everyone uh handle things as best they are currently equipped to do so That's a very graceful approach It's a it's an effective approach just because if I try to stress myself out over um what other people did i would accomplish nothing and get nowhere so you got to just kind of again take the hand that you're dealt in every aspect of life and uh just do your best even when dealing with people yeah how many people do you have at oxford point at pierpoint 153ish currently ish i love that you know it's like head head you know hr will say well we have a 220 and a half people <laughs> on a on a full-time basis or whatever you know an equivalent full-time um in in that the illness has presumably played a large part i'm sure you i mean it feels like it's not something you want you want to use that defines you but to what extent has it helped helped you and 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 shaped you into a better business leader I would say perseverance um is the biggest benefit uh because it's something that you're forced to learn. It's really a very binary scenario. Either you're going to let uh your illness or your challenges whatever they are, either you're going to let those win or you're going to win, but someone's going to win one or the other. And because I believe that I have important things to do, I put any challenges that I'm facing on the back burner. They're lower priority than the things that I feel I need to accomplish. and that mindset i feel like only came from having uh to deal with sickle cell and i'm 34 now handling it all much better than i did when i was 24 or even 14 um so it's something that you just get better with practice i love it uh, i i imagine it's in the name but tell us what you believe you are made for what is the bigger purpose that bob hunter's after I'm going to build skyscraper farms. Um so if you can imagine any skyscraper that you can picture and just imagine that the entire thing is farms top to bottom. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's the only thing that I uh need to accomplish. Everything else is just 
little road uh, road markers, uh, mile markers on the journey. But that journey is specifically to those skyscrapers. There is nothing else. Hmm. It, it makes me think of um, Singapore, where they in 1970. Exactly. Oh, is that true? Exactly. So, I mean, there's plenty of people who have vertical farms. Um, there's nothing unique about that. But there are not enough people that have simply stacked it on a uh, huge industrial level like that. And so for the amount of food that's able to be generated um, in these spaces, you could help a lot of people. Um, you could give a lot of food away to kids who need it. You could give a lot of food away to homeless people and still make a pretty significant profit. Um, and I say that because, for example, in the United States, there's this thing while you're going to the grocery store about the food looking perfect. And let's say we're talking about apples and you've got a few apples that are lumpy. Well, if I've got to spend $6 on the bag of apples, I don't, I, I don't want the lumpy apples. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that those apples end up getting trashed. And, um, you know, we end up with all this food waste while there's still people that are hungry. So when you're asking what my purpose is, it is to build those farms, um, create massive amounts of food. We'll still sell the perfect food uh, to the parties that need it. And the things that are a little less perfect, we can give those away. We can still partition off a certain amount of the perfect food to give away as well and be able to make a significant dent uh, for the people that are um, suffering from hunger or living in food deserts where they don't have access to food. So that's the whole purpose. That's the whole reason. Right. Well, before we get into a little bit more of that, I mean, my wife's French and um, and when I go shopping for, for groceries, uh, there are a, a number of countries I'm not allowed to buy certain things from certain places because they do too much industrialization. They render the tomatoes perfectly red, but completely tasteless. Mm hmm. And and the idea of a, a perfectly rounded apple, it feels you know the the basic promise is you have to wash it, strip it of the of the of the um, skin because that's all layered with all sorts of fertilizers and and uninteresting things for the body, and there are no worms and God knows it just looks like it's not actually created in Earth, much less on Earth, and and, and that that sense of. Uh, aesthetic of food well I, I it's sort of you know for me who who lives in europe although i have a u.s passport i've always been a little bit shocked at at that sort of uh that idea of perfection in the shopping whereas the what about the perfection of the cooking and the eating and the and the health the actual health of people right and a lot of people don't get that um, and I wish that people did because it would it would lead to a lot less waste, especially here in the United States. But um, if that was already solved, then I guess they wouldn't need me now, would they? <laughs> so, well, so how? Do, so Bob, how did you get into this? I mean, what was your journey into this idea of the vertical farm? Um, I feel like it's just my calling, and it's something that is uh, completely random, and uh, it's going to mm. sound absurd when I say it, but. I literally was minding my own business in the shower and uh, I was meditating and wondering what I should be doing with my life. And that's what came to me. I know nothing about farming. Um, I am not necessarily a, a kid's kind of person. Not that I dislike kids. It's just not something that I had ever particularly thought about. 
And of all the things to come to me as far as like, hey, what should you be doing with your life? It was this. It seemed like the most random thing ever. Um, but when it happened, it kind of all, it was like a, how can I put it? It was like someone dumped a whole bunch of data into my head all at once where I can see everything. I can see the farms. I can see, or rather the buildings. I can see the people who need the help. I can see what everything looks like. It's like I'd be able to paint a full picture of something that I had never thought about prior. Um, and it still baffles me how that whole thing happened because it does sound absurd, but that's what happened. So it's my distinct impression there is a a thing to discover within that. Yeah. Oxford Pierpont. Um, I I mean, just the name, I need you to explain to us how you came up with that. I mean, my, my <laughs> son, I once applied, my my children applied to a, a school called Pierpont down in, in the south of England. Um, Oxford is in England. The, the name, what I mean, it, for, for as a French person, Pierpont, uh, the, 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 um, it, it speaks to me, but um, I'm sure there's a, a more interesting understanding. Yeah, so um, I was trying to figure out, it's hilarious, um, but I was trying, well, hilarious to me. I was trying to figure mm. out what to name the company. Uh, at the time, I was watching this movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, oh. and uh, their company, the, the name in the movie was uh, Stratton Oakmont. It's a real company. Um, and I love that name so much. I just loved everything about it and the, how the presentation was done. And so I came up with my own name. The Oxford is actually a little nod to my very first client after I lost my job. And that was the Oxford Highland Group. They are a mergers and acquisitions firm in Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, where were you based? They right? were the first. Yep. And so my first time making a website uh, for clients and just other stuff. It was a lot of firsts. So Stratton Oakmont. Uh, sorry, Stratton Pierpont. Ah, excuse me. <laughs> um, the Oxford Highland Group, they were first. The Pierpont is actually a nod to John Pierpont Morgan, uh, better known to most as J.P. Morgan, the Wizard of Wall Street, um, all those years ago. And I've always uh, thought J.P. Morgan was a pretty interesting fellow. I, I like the history of that time period where you've got uh, Dale Carnegie, Rockefeller, um, uh, J.P. Morgan, all these titans of industry. And so it was a little nod to uh, him in particular. So that is where the name Oxford Pierpont comes from, those two things. Not entirely random, but a little. Well, certainly surprising. Yeah, definitely. Also, yeah. I had a certain brand that uh, I wanted to build. And so I had enough experience to know that um, people are judging your brand before you've even done any business with them. So I wanted something that was very highbrow from the start. Um, I have other brands that are way less intimidating um, from the branding, the way that the colors are chosen. But for Oxford, it did exactly what it needed to do because it's how I got um, relationships with like companies like Wells Fargo, United Healthcare, uh, Starbucks, Arizona, big names in a short amount of time, just because I took the time to really plan out a brand that was going to speak to my target audience. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. Well, you clearly, and I obviously in the little research I did about you, you you obviously have an enormously 
very recognizable and long list of 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 uh, good clients. Are there clients you refuse? Um, so we we've, we've raised our prices several times deliberately for the purpose of refusing people. Uh, that sounds terrible, I'm sure, but it's uh, very it's exclusionary of you, Bob. It's oh yeah, my well, god, <laughs> it's for it's for a good reason. So, um, if you're starting a business, one of the main things that you're trying to accomplish is figuring out who your target audience really is in a way that's uh, allowing you to be profitable and um, able to mitigate the overhead. Well, let's say that I'm going to work with someone and we're going to do a marketing campaign or a website, or we're going to do some funding. A person who is, um, we'll say, starting out and they don't have access to resources, I'm still going to have to do the exact same amount of work for that person as I would for someone who I maybe sold a higher package to. It's almost the identical level of work. And in, in fact, dealing with people that uh, don't have the resources actually ends up being more of a headache long term and requires more of my time and resources than if I uh, just raised my prices. So what I ended up doing is uh, I have brands where I definitely uh, target small business owners and uh, and just people who are starting, but that is not Oxford for us. Usually, if we're not talking about a project that starts at $5,000, um, we won't even take the project. And ideally, we're looking at things that are a minimum of $10,000 just because it allows us to pay our people better. It allows us to provide a better service to our clients. And of course, it's uh, in line with what our brand is anyway. So that's really how that whole thing um how that whole thing happened there and, and why it's presented the way that it is in a very stiff corporate fashion. Well, let me be provocative, Bob. Uh, so here I am, a potential customer. Hey, Mr. Hunter, Oxford Pierpont's house just up our avenue. I'm prepared to pay $50,000 for this project. Uh, and we do things which are a little unethical. Um, which inevitably means a sort of, uh, let's say, a battle with or confrontation of values. I, I mean, in the end of the day, many consultancies, agencies with whom I've dealt with or interviewed, they have a tendency to say, yes, I can do it. And the, the idea of throwing away $50,000 or whatever the, the exciting amount might be um, is, is hard to, to say no to. And when you say no to, to that one, as opposed to the one that comes and says, well, I've only got one and a half thousand dollars underneath your, your threshold. What, what are the criteria you use to say no? If it's a project that I simply don't want, I just say no. Um, that's half the fun of being the person who makes up all the rules, right? Mm -hmm. um, I get to choose what projects uh, we work on. And I get to refuse anything that I uh, just feel like is not in line with our goals. Um, and that's really important because, as I mentioned earlier, my end goal is to have those skyscrapers. So if the project that I'm working on is going to significantly distract from that or, uh, or compromise our values or reputation or anything, then just simply say no. It's the one big benefit that you have over being an employee of some, some you know, some company, I get to say no. So, and I'd say no to both of those cases uh, if that's what it was. If I was talking to the underfunded person um, who 
it was going to be a struggle to do their project or, you know, they weren't really going to be able to pay what's required for us to do a good job or the person who has 50,000 and they can pay for everything. But now we have to deal with a lot of uh, unintended moral consequences. I would just simply say no to both. Right. So let me be, let me dig in. <laughs> um, so let's say I'm Conagra or okay. some other a large agricultural food company or even a tobacco company and says, I really dig your idea of the skyscraper farm. I really want that. I think it's the future. Here's a, here's a check for $5 million. How do you decipher and in this idea of ciphering the, the, or, or balance the relationship between your values and their values. I'd love for you to dig in on that sort of cross-section. Is it just a gut reaction? Is it a personality story? How much do you need the company's values to be lived and felt and understood? Or is it maybe a marketing story? How do you judge? I think we only have one life to live. And, uh, and I, in particular, think mine is going to be a little bit shorter. Um, and so I have no intention of just wasting it uh, doing things that I think are counterproductive to my goal of helping people overall. Um, also, I think that especially here in the United States, there's too much emphasis on money. So you mentioned $5 million. There are plenty of ways to go get $5 million. Relatively speaking, it's not even that hard to go get $5 million um, because there's way more than that just floating around. So if you have to tell one person no, because you're seeking out someone that's going to be a better long-term partner for you, then you know it's it's not that big of a deal. Um, I, now, I don't know if it's the same for other countries, but at least here in the U.S., uh, there are a lot of incentives for investments, and there are a lot of people who are willing to make investments, if only you can give them a good reason uh, you know, to work with you, and if you can show that uh, there's a good reason for them to trust you with their money. So it doesn't have to be any one particular party. If you want to say no, you just simply say no. Well, but you have to be confident of, enough to say that, of course. Yeah, because there are plenty of temptations of saying, oh, $5 million, that sounds interesting. Yeah. And and we get quickly swayed by money at some level. Maybe it makes, it, it, it's sort of what people who don't realize that life is short think i think also my perspective might be a bit biased uh, because part of what we do uh, in our day-to-day -day business is funding and so i've had to get familiar with uh the other options that there are for raising capital um so that could also be what's influenced my uh, uh i guess ability to say oh, five million dollars relatively speaking is not that much money well it's just because i know where to go get more than that I can see how it would be more of a challenge if the most you've ever gotten from someone is $50,000. And now someone's yeah. saying, hey, here's $5 million. You know, Are you going to take it? Maybe they'd have a harder time making that decision just because they don't know what other options are available to them. But for me personally, uh, it would be an easy no. Is Are you referring to my business credit? My business credit and uh, Oxford Pierpont Capital. So mybusinesscredit.com is the brand that we have for small business owners. Uh, going back to that uh, statement I made earlier when I said you build your brand for your target audience, my business credit and Oxford Pierpont Capital do the exact same thing. 
Uh, one is targeted for small business owners. The other is targeted for uh, big corporations or larger, more established businesses. Um, so yeah, both of those are where we, or how we operate in getting funding for people. So, I mean, at some level, you've grown your business, 150 employees, you're 34 years old, which is amazing. To what do you ascribe your success? Simply not giving up when you're learning uh, what not to do. <laughs> There's this quote that's always floating around about- You mean um, you've screwed up a few times? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I do every week, sometimes on purpose, you know, break things and figure out what not to do. It's all science. And uh, and it's fun. And there's this quote about Thomas Edison, and I still don't know if it's true or not. But mm. basically, he's saying something along the lines of, uh, you know, um, it, it required 10,000 uh, tries to make the light bulb before he got the one that works, right? So he learned 10,000 ways not to do it. And I always love that quote, because it kind of is what I do. I make a lot of mistakes. And so then when I'm talking to someone, Years later, they're like, oh, wow, you, you have so much knowledge and experience. And it's like, well, you know, I should after having, uh, you know, burned the house down a couple of times. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's an accumulation of experience. And, and I love that. So a little connecting of dots in my mind is going on. And one of the things I, I like to talk about is the acceptance of imperfection. And within that, the idea of testing and failing and suffering through challenge. And I'm wondering if there's a connection between your health and your ability to accept failure. I feel like I don't have a whole lot of time to be wasting. I think that's where the biggest motivation comes from. So I am just uh, more motivated to accomplish my goals because I just don't think I have time to to, to, I guess, to, to mess around and, you know, do nothing. Well, some might say screwing up is messing around. No, no, that's learning. Big difference. Um, it's good if you are making mistakes and learning because you're constantly learning better ways to do things and you're constantly getting better. Doing nothing is when you've got the biggest problem. So, People who will often criticize what you're doing or complain, I mean, often they're not really doing anything themselves. Because if you were, at some point, you would mess things up. It's just part of the process. It's part of the science. And it's the fun part, honestly, if you can survive it. Yeah, if you can survive it. I was um, I was just telling you before we started recording about how I had a, uh, an interesting uh, interview on my French podcast with a, a person who, who talks about sales. And uh, for having been a salesman, managed large sales teams, and and most recently observed how it's one of the occupations where you see the highest level of depression, anxiety, mental health issues. Sales is is a role where you you have to learn how to deal with no, and like as in rejection. Yep. And, and and at the same level, I, I'm sort of making a, a parallel between doing and failing, you know, saying, hey, will you buy my thing? And no. And, and so the issue of mental health feels like today is more relevant with the no's, the rejection, the failure than it was before. And yet, as you, you're saying, it's all about learning. 
can you give ideas that might lean into this idea of how people who are suffering, who are who 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 are, are less capable or maybe don't have an illness like you have, how how can they dig into your idea, your mindset? I think a lot of it has to do with perspective. Um, and so if if we're looking at the concept of failing, our earliest introduction to that for many people, at least in the United States, uh, it is the school system. So in the school system, it's very binary pass-fail, right? You have your A, B, C, D, F system, and you're given some kind of test, and then either you passed it or you failed it. And often the case is that if you failed it, there are not any second opportunities for you to go and take the test again, right? You're you are uh, interpreted as having insufficient knowledge on the subject, and that's the end of it. In real life, it doesn't work that way. In real life, there's no teacher that's giving you all these lessons and then giving you the test. In real life, it is you getting the test, and then you get the answer uh, as to you know whether or not uh, you are going to pass or fail. And so failure at that stage becomes more a concept of giving up than anything else, because you don't really have anyone telling you, hey, you can't try again to do this business or to do this thing or to, or to do that thing. It's not really a failure until you yourself chose to, hey, I'm going to stop trying. It's it's not like a sport. There's not some team that you're fighting against. You're just constantly against yourself, really. So if we're talking about what mindset you really need to adopt, it's really just a mindset that says, hey, I'm going to have a different perspective on how failure works or how life works in general. And I'm going to simply approach things as, hey, I know that I don't know how to do this thing, or I don't know what to expect, or um, you know, I, 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 I don't fully have all the answers right now. I am, I'm, I'm uh, operating in ignorance, but I'm going to learn along the way, and I'm going to make micro adjustments until I've reached whatever my predefined level of success actually is. That's the easiest way to adjust the attitude. Uh, so that you can be a successful person, just simply changing your perspective. All right. So um, pushback time, Bob. Uh, okay. You suffer the consequences of having a 99% satisfaction rating with your clients. So you basically never fail. Not true. Um, no, definitely not true. So if we end up getting uh, you know, just great feedback and comments and everyone's happy, that's only because all the little times that we might have made them unhappy along the way, we were quick about changing it and adjusting and pivoting. Again, that's that concept of failure. Did we fail? No, we haven't really failed with anyone. That's only because any mistakes we've made along the way, we've quickly corrected them until we've reached a level of success with each individual person. So it's still exactly the same. But on the surface, of course, and this is often the case with many business owners, people only ever see the success. They never see the struggle that happened behind closed doors or behind the scenes. So you've got to keep that in mind, too. People are a lot less uh, successful in real life than they might appear to be when you're just looking from the outside in. And it's not until you talk to that person that you hear the stories of, hey, well, actually, this is everything I had to go through to get to this point. I I have talked to many companies. I've even worked with companies that have as, and they're, proud to brandish their claim or logo, we strive for perfection. What does that instill in you? Um, <laughs> so at the lodge, 
uh, when we are learning our catechisms. Um, what do you what's the, what do you mean by the lodge? Sorry, I, I go to a, a Masonic lodge, um, and so part of the uh, learning process is uh, catechisms. So you have to memorize all this stuff, and uh, one thing that our mentor or my mentor would always say is we strive for perfection and we'll settle for excellence. <laughs> that's, that's what we tell everyone. Um, and I think it's a very good way of looking at things because perfection um, can often be a bit um, a, a bit of a unicorn. It may happen, it may not, but you can always at least just settle for excellence and the definition of excellence will always change as you acquire more and more experience. So if you're genuinely doing your best, and you're stacking on uh, that on those little successes where you've done your best this time, you've done your best again, and you've gotten even better than you were before, and you're constantly getting better and being a better uh, person than you were yesterday. Over time, you end up reaching this level that's not quite perfect, but you are way more excellent than you were when you started. So probably without meaning to you kind of triggered me, Bob, because <laughs> how's that? Yeah, well, watch this because unicorns don't exist and we've kind of banalized the term as if they exist and so and i'm thinking oh perfection does exist and 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 i i really i'm i i in listening to you i'm far more intrigued and interested in in the dealing with the shit illness dealing with the the failures, the, the 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 screw ups, and how you dealt with that, and I feel that is far more your success than the striving for perfection. I think it is in that case, just because it had to be, because the alternative was me really doing nothing and being like the others who have to live their lives uh, just from. Medication Healthily, medication. no, but the others are living, you know, with easiness and and uh, writing about idealism and 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 thinking life is perfect and I'm going to live forever. Yeah, it's definitely not. <laughs> it's yeah, it's definitely not. But I mean, I've decided that hey, this is how I need to spend my time, and uh, I'm just in pursuit of that. And anything else is a distraction, and I don't think that I'll ever. Uh, be perfect. I think only stupid people know everything. Um, but I can at least say that I'm actively assessing who I am on a day-to-day -day basis and what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, looking for ways to improve, and then making those adjustments. Uh, and that process continues on until until it doesn't, until I'm done. So that's the only way that I can approach it, sickle cell or not. Mm -hmm. And that's for anyone, even if you're not dealing with any a uh, medical issue. You might be dealing with mental health issues. You might de uh, be dealing with financial issues. There could be a number of things. The mindset doesn't have to change. If you're at least getting 1% better, well, 100 days later, you're 100% better than you were when you started. It's just constantly adjusting over and over and over again until you find that level of success that you yourself chose. Nice. A um, couple of last questions we're going to explore. One of them is social media. And I was wondering, what does a Bob Hunter think and deal? How does he deal with social media? Uh, in what context? So personally or uh, well, for start business? With, start with personally, because I think that's the most important, interesting piece. 
personally, I see it as a huge distraction. So I uh, avoid it. Definitely. And then within business, then? And business, it's a huge asset uh, huh. because other people allow themselves to be distracted. Well, is that is that a right thing? Is that something you approve of? It's um, about getting in front of your audience for whatever your uh, for whatever it is that you're doing. Um, this podcast is a prime example. Let's say that um, I mean this isn't this this is a good and informative podcast, but there are people who might listen to nonsense all day. If the audience is here, then it's a good idea for me to be here. Even with this whole thing that I'm doing now. I basically asked my assistant, I said, hey, uh, we need to um, we need to start getting the word out and, and getting me in front of people. And I want you to book me for 100 podcasts. That was the goal. And uh, now I'm at about 36 or 37, somewhere around there uh, for this podcast. It's me adjusting to where my audience is. If someone is selling something and their audience is on Facebook or Instagram or other social media platforms, then that's where you go. And I wouldn't necessarily call it good or bad. It's just a matter of being wherever your audience already is. Of course, you have a couple of different audiences. I mean, you have your SMBs, you have your, where you have your My Business Credit or the, or the work you do. And then you have your Oxford Pierpont that works with larger organizations. And you have the people who are interested in, in a, a skyscraper farm. Right. And there's a, there's work being done in the background to approach all of those in the most appropriate way. Great example would be how Oxford Capital and my business credit uh, both do the same thing, but I would never um, advertise for my business credit in the way that I would for Oxford Capital because you're talking to two completely different people. So just know your audience and know where they are and develop your buyer persona so that you can be most effective and efficient uh, in your business plans and your marketing efforts even if they include social media. Really, they do. Um, there's another thing uh, alongside social media that people are talking about, and I wonder to what extent it's relevant in your industry. What do you think I'm going to ask you? Do you have any idea? It might be about the amazing AI boom, but I'm not sure. Oh, you are good, man. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. And and anyone's listening, I did not prompt or give any indices so bob that's on you well done so um <laughs> what role does ai have in your business how do you deal with that what's your viewpoint what's your recommendation for people in in your you know your clients with regard to dealing with ai i'd love to hear your opinion on that it is the most exciting thing ever it is uh i mean i'm smiling ear to ear right now because i love I can hear it. this entire situation so much and it's fun fact, yesterday, uh, May 30th, marked the six-month mark of ChatGPT. Um, so this all has happened in just a six-month uh, six window. And my businesses have changed so dramatically just because of AI. I'm able to create and deliver things in a matter of days that normally would have taken months. I'm able to adjust my staff um, in a way that is more meaningful. Let's say, for example, that we are going to, uh, let's see, what's an easy one that people understand? Okay, let's say that our job is to uh, create authority, a knowledge base for our, our client, whoever they are. And we are supposed to produce all of this content. So we're supposed to produce videos, uh, written content. We're supposed to uh, produce social media content. 
all of that would have taken me easily, uh, you know, a good month and a half to make that many different types of content that are actually useful for a client. Well, that kind of stuff can now be done in a couple of days. That's the dramatic shift that AI is bringing. And I don't think people fully understand that we're only at the tip of the iceberg here. There's still so much more under the surface that's just still waiting to be discovered. For example, Elon Musk at Tesla has the Optimus robot. And if anyone is uh, paying attention, it's a humanoid robot. It's uh, about five feet, eight, eight inches tall. Um, it looks like a normal human body kind of person. Well, what if you now took something like the uh, the large language models like ChatGPT and put them into a physical bot? Imagine how you could accomplish or uh, how how much you could change the job space just from having something like that. I mean, I could go on and on, but my point is AI is this big tool that we now all have access to. Some people will use the tool effectively and change their lives. Other people will fear the tool and end up doing nothing and get left behind. So it's just an amazing time for anyone who's really paying attention to what's going on. It's like the internet has happened all over again. I personally couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And, and one of the things I, I say in some of my speeches is, so are you excited or fearful of AI? And, and it, it really is something that will inform the way you deal with it. And what, so just maybe the last question before we close off is, to what extent will AI participate in your passion project, the thing you're made for? It speeds everything up. It's almost like uh, I have this person that knows almost everything that there is to know. Remember earlier I said only stupid people know everything? I take that back. AI knows everything and it's definitely not stupid. <laughs> so it's it's an amazing opportunity for me to develop at speeds that were unimaginable uh, before. And um, seeing how, how far it's come just in these last six months, I can only imagine what things will be like two years from now as all of these things mature. I'm sure that some areas of it will be restricted because uh, there is a little bit of a danger to it. Um, but it's just an amazing time to be alive. I feel like I'm George Jetson living in the future right now. It's, it's amazing. Well, it, it's very reassuring or maybe inspiring to hear somebody with your situation, how you're dealing with that and how you're viewing it. I, I see so much fear. And and uh, and also there's also this mental health issues with people who have littlest of problems, and I, I compliment you on your on on the way you approach things. Uh, it's I mean no 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 not everything's great of course I'm sure you have many other issues, you know so it's not about sounding perfect or or trying to create this narrative but you obviously have a wonderful outlook. So Bob, how can people I know you're not into social media, but how can people follow you, find out more about you, get a grip on on the business you're doing, maybe even contact you, and and specifically think about if I'm a big company or small company, what are the appropriate links? Yeah, so um, if anyone wants to talk to me, they can go to oxfordpierpont.com/bob. That'll get you to my personal calendar, and we can talk about a lot of things. And uh, as far as funding goes. If you're someone who's looking for under a million dollars, um, you can go to mybusinesscredit.com. You can apply for or pre-qualify for funding. 
If you don't pre-qualify, we'll train you on how to uh, build up your business finances in a way that uh, makes you more attractive to banks. And uh, for everything else, yeah, just go to Oxford Pierpont. And if you Google it, if you don't know how to spell the name, uh, Google knows who we are. So it'll finish out the word before you even finish typing. So yeah, that's that's us in a nutshell. Yeah, well, and to be to be um, sure, the word Bob Hunter is not something that Google knows easily. But Oxford no. Pierpont, surely yes. a lot easier. <laughs> well done. Bob, yep. thank you so much for coming on and sharing the time with us. I, I loved hearing your energy. I, I'm uh, distinctly intrigued by your passion project of the vertical, or the um, skyscraper farm. And uh, it was lovely to have you on. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on MinterDial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.